This is the Toasted Sister Podcast. I'm Andy Murphy. Did you miss me? Well, I certainly miss producing these episodes, and I have to tell you, summer for me was a wild ride. I became the Civil Eats Indigenous Foodways Fellow. This podcast won two awards from the 2021 National Native Media Awards, second place for Best Beat Reporting and an honorable mention for Best Feature Story. And I just got back from a culinary road trip to and from Indianapolis. This is where I spoke about the indigenous food movement and made some food for an audience at the Idlejorg Museum. It was all just very fun. And on my way to Indianapolis, I stopped at the brand new First Americans Museum in Oklahoma City. It's a beautiful museum focused on telling the story of the 39 tribes that currently call Oklahoma home. It opened in September of this year, and its restaurant, which is called 39 Restaurant, also tells a story and educates museum goers about Oklahoma native flavors and ingredients. Much of the menu was created by Loretta Baird Odin, a longtime chef whose work over the last couple of decades helped set a foundation for the rest of the native food work that happens today in kitchens, in various programs, and in the media. This is my visit with Potawatomi chef Loretta Barrett-Odin at the First Americans Museum. Hi, Andy. I'm Loretta Barrett-Oden, uh, a woman of the Citizen Potawatomi Nation from about 60 miles southeast of here in Shawnee, Oklahoma. And I'd like to welcome you to FAM, the First Americans Museum in Oklahoma City. Thank you so much. Yes, yeah, a really beautiful, beautiful place. Um, we're actually in one of the uh, classrooms or like a meeting room up here in the administrative side of the FAM. And everything is so beautiful. It's, it smells yeah. like a nice brand new building and um <laughs> which well, is amazing since it does have some age on it <laughs> right <laughs> yeah this is like what 16 years yeah, you said 16 to 17 years in in the making and uh you know some of us have been here since the beginning since the first shovel full of dirt was turned and yeah. and we're sitting here now looking at the at the Oklahoma River and uh I, I pinch myself you know I'm so happy and honored to be uh, working here and uh, associated with the museum it's just you know it's I call it my swan song <laughs> I did a lot of years for this so it's 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 happening yeah and it opened in September um, yes. I remember I did a um, Native America calling show on the opening of this so just yeah that first shovel to now like really rebuilding the the ground here that like how many thousands of uh, truckloads of dirt came in to just oh. make way for this building oh absolutely it was an old oil field mm. I mean a stinky nasty old oil field once we get all of this landscaped um, the views from here will be beautiful and of course the Chickasaw Nation is building an 
enormous resort kind of all around us. Oh, nice. And so they will have pools and hotels and uh, retail and all of that. And I'm going, oh my goodness, you know. And this was really kind of an almost an abandoned part of Oklahoma City. But yet we can see downtown from yeah. where we're sitting. So yeah. we're going to have a lot of people. We're going to be a good destination, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's um, uh, right off the interstate. The um, city buildings are right off to the, what is this, west side That's of west, us? right. Right now, yeah. And the river's just right there. I mean, you guys are going to be really, really busy. I know. Coming <laughs> up at the restaurant, especially. Yes, we already have been. And... You know, we're only open for lunch right now, uh, like six days a week, and Saturday, Sunday brunch. Uh, and of course, we're having a terrible time hiring people. Uh, everyone in the country in this business is having, well, every business, I think, yeah. is having trouble uh, finding help. So it's kept us scrambling, but we've had, you know, great reviews, uh, great feedback on the food. And I think you had brunch today, mm-hmm. had a little. Uh, a taste of the Saturday brunch offerings and maybe, you know, have some interesting things to say about that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll come up with some interesting things. But yeah, you would get, you know, the restaurant would get positive reviews from me. Um, I, I really enjoyed just, uh, I really enjoyed the pasoli and then the... <laughs> The, uh, the gravy on top of the biscuits and gravy was a, a bison oh. and venison yes, sausage. Yes, oh. the sausage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I know. You know, after having the restaurant in Santa Fe for so long, uh, the Corn Dance Cafes, uh, we had to lighten up on the on the chilies. Mm-hmm. You know, here in here in Oklahoma City. Yeah. But we had such a following in Santa Fe. You know, from people from Oklahoma, because all of our artists used to go to Santa Fe. Oh, nice! To, yeah. You know, for Indian Market and all of that. Uh, so maybe you know they'll start staying home and uh, eating here. But yeah, the ingredients have been really fun to work with. As you know, I've been doing this for about thirty years, and uh, so to be back home and and working with the museum and with Thirty Nine. Uh, our restaurant, which is named after the 39 tribes of Oklahoma, and the Arbor, which is our little uh, coffee bar and grab-and-go, uh, kind of a quick food uh, uh, area. And uh, we've just had, you know, so much fun putting this menu together and, you know, kind of altering what I've done in other places with our ingredient list. You were talking about pasoli, and we said earlier, you know, I had to kind of rename that hominy stew because we're in Oklahoma and not everyone knows what pasoli is. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, uh, so we, we had, we've had fun with this menu, and it's just going to grow and grow once we get open for dinner. You know, I don't know how many times, we, you know, we say this in this whole, you know, native um, food community, but it's really giving everybody a taste of uh, Native American food. And I'm glad that the the museum here had has space for uh, a restaurant because not all Native museums have a restaurant where you can actually, like, um, experience that side of culture and that side of history and how that kind of, you know, tells our story today very contemporarily, I guess. Yes, yeah. Well, they didn't start out with a restaurant space Mm. like we have now, Mm -hmm. and they brought me in a couple of years ago to redesign the kitchen space. 
So it ended up, you know, we have a 4,000 square foot kitchen, <laughs> which, is, which is huge, as wow. well as a, um, a staging uh, catering kitchen down by the Hall of the People. So, you know, I was thinking big, you know, way back. <laughs> and I said, and we're going to do the patio, uh, which will be on the uh, north side of the building, and a chef's garden, and then across the road uh, to the east we're going to do greenhouses and grow a bunch of our own stuff nice. i don't think we'll be able to have any buffalo roaming but uh, there are enough of them around so we're <laughs> sourcing a lot of our buffalo meat now from local tribes uh cheyenne arapaho up in the northeastern part of the state so we're trying to use as many local producers as possible and certainly as much indigenous food as possible and you know me, if it's, you know, if it grew anywhere in North, Central, or South America, it's indigenous, so I'm going to use it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's fun. The research and teaching people about who we are through the food, I think, is a very gentle, yummy way to feed them information and uh, knowledge. And so, you know, once, I've always said that once I... Uh, feed them and they have happy bellies you know they'll listen to what I have to say about our history yeah definitely um, so you know making the menu must have been really really fun what's one uh, dish on the menu that is maybe your favorite oh um, well one of the holdovers of course the three sisters of you know they've been with me since day one in, in Santa Fe mm-hmm. uh, so we do a couple of we do a three sisters saute uh, as well as a three sisters salad and those are those are always you know kind of my favorites but we're doing the turkey cutlets and I did that dish in Santa Fe you know we didn't have chickens so turkeys were domesticated you know a bajillion years ago and so this is my take on Thanksgiving with turkey and like mom's old-fashioned cornbread dressing uh, we have a nice uh, uh, berry sauce with that a cranberry gastrique and to me it's like Thanksgiving for us is every day mm-hmm. <laughs> so every day that we can walk upon this land uh, is Thanksgiving so I think that's probably one of my favorite dishes it's been around for a long time, and uh, it's pretty tasty, so you'll have to come back and give it a try. Nice, yeah. In the future, are you planning on maybe incorporating like more maybe educational food programs, like bringing in different chefs for you know a tour or something like that, a special dinner, oh, anything abs- like that? Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're planning some chefs' dinners, uh, wine dinners, you know, chef's dinners. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you know, as long as I've been around uh, Indian country and all the people, there's so many young people out there now doing great, great things with the food. And I feel like I've raised a bunch of them. <laughs> so I know so many of them that, you know, Sean and Nephi and, you know, all the, uh, you know, Elena Terry, everyone that's doing great work out in Indian country. And I've been traveling up in the north more than anywhere else, so they're all up there, so I want to bring them down here yeah. and cook with them and have some great events. We have, you know, grand dreams. The director, Jim Pepper Henry, has grand dreams of doing a big dome over that center area Ooh, out there yeah. towards the entrance so that we can powwow year-round and have uh, great things going on. We're going to do an outdoor kitchen. 
uh, I'm just excited about everything we have going on in the future. When the Children a Family Museum opens, we'll get the kids, uh, we'll get the kiddos involved and uh, have them, you know, uh, even, even a, you know, a culinary training courses uh, for, you know, junior high, high school kids. Uh, I want to do it all because, as I said, this kind of feels like my last hurrah. I'm getting <laughs> down the road a bit. And I, every, all of my dreams, you know, are just kind of piling up. Uh, this is my gigantic bucket list, mm. uh, is this museum. So I'm really content to stay right here and uh, do as much as I can. You mentioned Santa Fe a couple of times. Can you tell me about uh, that part of your past? Oh, yes. Uh, I had uh, my eldest son, Clay, and I opened uh, the first Corn Dance Cafe in 1993 uh, over on West Water Street. It was this funky, cute little uh, adobe compound and had no idea. We were green, as green as gourds back then, and, and you know, no restaurant knowledge to speak of at all, but both of us pretty good cooks. And, you know, that thing took off like gangbusters. And we did, you know, uh, did so much great business there. And then we opened a second one at the Hotel Santa Fe. Uh, so we had a great 10 years in Santa Fe with the Corn Dance Cafe. And that was, uh, that was our baby. And uh, just really launched me into a totally different life. You know, I had no idea this was all going to happen. It's been pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, 30 years working in the kitchen, working with native food, seeing all these chefs across the country, like really coming up and really helping to put a, a dish to the food, a dish to the tribe, a dish to all these ingredients. What still surprises you when you're, when you're, you're looking at all the work happening, when you're looking at even this place happening? Oh. You know, I for a while, um, you know, I did a little PBS series, like mini-series, I call it, you know, five episodes back in uh, 2005 and six. So it was the 90s when I opened first in Santa Fe, and then we get into the 2000s, towards, and I thought, uh, t- every 10 years, it seemed like we were in mode, you know, we were in vogue, I mean, not mode. Uh. Uh, it, you know, we'd get all this attention and then it would die down. And 10 years later, here's this another brand new surge in indigenous foods, Native American foods, a whole new thing. And it's not new at all. You know, it's yeah. like, I've been doing it for 30 years. Uh, our people have been doing it, you know, forever. And uh, so what's happening now? By golly, I think it's going to stick. There's enough People, you know, enough people opening restaurants now. Um, oh my goodness, in Oakland. Um, what, what people have kitchen? Yes, yes, Crystal, yeah, Crystal. Wapapot, yeah. Mm-hmm. And of course, she's Kickapoo, so, you know, their res is over uh, by us, over in Shawnee, yeah. uh, where, where my reservation is. So, you know, it's happening, and by golly, I'm just, I couldn't be more delighted. And I want to try and get enough time off from here, if that's possible, to go visit, you know, some of the other young chefs' uh, restaurants. Sean's opened in Minneapolis and Crystal's in Oakland and uh, Nephi just opened in Apache. White uh, White Mountain Apache? Yeah, White Mountain Apache. So, you know, it's just, it's happening all over the country and I'm really excited. 
I think, you know, people are going to sit up and pay attention to us now. And the food, you know, it's, you can't beat it. It's healthy, uh, it's delicious, uh, it's gorgeous, and it's from the earth. And I think if we carry this forward uh, at the rate we're going now, everyone will benefit from uh, taking a look back at, you know, how we used to eat. What's one of the most important things that you've learned about um, about food and maybe like the power of indigenous food over all this time? Oh my. Well, you know, I know it's been said a thousand times, but, you know, food is our medicine. And what's happened, you know, to what everyone in this country or even all over the world eats now, you know, it's so overly processed. It's artificial. Now they're cloning critters to eat and I'm going oh, I don't know about that you know uh, so uh, it's it's really looking back at at what the creator put here for us you know whether we're in the north up in the northwest coast whether we're here in Oklahoma you know all over the Americas the creator put what we needed in that place of, of being to sustain us and we just need to pay attention, pass the knowledge on. That's what I get so worried about. I'm getting so old <laughs> that I'm thinking, you know, I want this to happen. I'm, I'm writing a cookbook right now, and uh, that should be out in the spring of 22, three, 23, mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. But this knowledge really needs to be passed on to the coming generations. That's our job. That's my job, to not let this, you know, this food knowledge die, this, this um, medicine. Mm-hmm. What would your advice be to uh, younger uh, chefs, maybe even Native students who are uh, thinking about uh, going into a kitchen, thinking about continuing this kind of work that um, we maybe we've already laid the kind of groundwork for them? Like, what would your advice be for entering into the kitchen or this this food sovereignty movement oh my goodness it will consume you (laughs) it's really really hard work but Mm -hmm. i take such joy in the work that i do and all and all of the people that i've worked with over the years we have so much fun in the kitchen i think it's because we know we're cooking good food we know we're cooking our food to share that knowledge the kids coming up now, please learn to cook because I need you. <laughs> we need more native chefs out there. And uh, check out the history of the, of the food. Read the label on some of the stuff you're eating. And if it has more than two or three ingredients, forget it. Don't eat it. We have berries to pick. We have, uh, you know, all kinds of great things to grow, critters to, to hunt fish for. There's an abundance of food out there if we take care of Mother Earth and not destroy what time we have left. We need to keep it real and uh, do your homework and then sharpen your knives and get to work on it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You mentioned a cookbook. Is there um, something else uh, that you're working on or something something else in your bucket list? Well, you know, traveling again, you know, I spoke briefly about the PBS series, 
And, you know, we did five episodes, you know, from wild rice to buffalo to Tanatam and the wonderful food down in the Sonoran Desert. And we ran out of funding. Uh, I had written like 26 episodes. I would love to go back out on the road and do that, finish up some of that. It was such fun and visiting other tribes and then just getting, you know, referred to, well, you know, so-and-so up at, at First Mesa does this amazing, you know, peaky bread or going from one, and it's, it's been a 30-year learning process for me. The women are so wise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, have to, I have to really pat the women on the back because it's been miraculous how we, uh, they have managed to, you know, nourish and keep everyone's bellies full during very, very hard times. And, you know, we're still going through hard times. A lot of the reservations are suffering still from, you know, COVID and, uh, everything else that goes with being native, you know, the poverty issues. And that's why I'd like to get out and do some more shows. We won an Emmy with that little teeny episode, that little series. And I think people were interested. I was out on the road before any of those famous guys went on the road. So I'd like to do it again. It was great fun. Yeah, I think I've seen all the episodes <laughs> of that, and it, it is really fun. You're talking about visiting uh, people from different tribes. Of course, with the internet, with social media, oh. with getting to meet all kinds of people from different tribes, it's really become, sometimes I like to call it like an intertribal food <laughs> fair. <laughs> <laughs> is that what you see? And, and what do you think about just mixing all of this different different knowledge and all these different flavors and ingredients well yeah it you know uh there's been a lot of discussion back and forth you know uh for and against uh the mixing of you know say the food from the northwest coast with the food from new mexico and i did that early on uh just as long as i could keep it indigenous there's so much identity there's so much tribal identity and cultural knowledge that goes with the food from specific regions. But, you know, since relocation, it was really difficult. Like, I can't go out in that river right outside our window and catch a salmon. (laughs) So it's like, while we'll put salmon on the menu, we need to tell that story of, you know, where the salmon uh, is sacred, uh, the rivers that it came from, entire cultures you know are built around the food so I don't want to ever lose that Uh, so I don't you know I'm guilty of I mix uh, a lot of stuff up but I still want to be true to uh, where that food came from and the people who harvested it grew it used it because it there is such a, a huge cultural identity we are very, very diverse people. You know, people call us Indians. We're all Indians, you know, <laughs> and uh, we aren't. We are more diverse than, you know, all of the countries in Europe. Uh, there are more, you know, languages, cultural identities here in just North America than you, you know, look at Central America and South America, GADS, you know. It's the tip of the iceberg. <laughs> There's so much more out there to learn and to uh, talk about and uh, you know, share that knowledge. It's exciting. I, I love it. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I I like that part of, you know, this kind of contemporary native food that we might see a lot in the media. I know there there are some people who really like to keep it traditional and within their tribe. And those are really, you know, special meals, too, because some of those are, you know, you can't get them anywhere else. You have to forage for it or it comes from grandma's garden or something like that. Those are really, really, really special. But having that experience of putting Navajo blue corn, something with with uh, maple syrup and wild yes. rice. I mean, that's just, it's just really, really fun to get to have that culinary tour, I guess, oh, on a plate. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what always pops in, into my mind, I spent a lot of time down at Tanatham, uh, down in, in southern Arizona. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I fell in love with the choya buds. Mm. You know, now where on earth are you going to, you know, who would think of, picking a little flower bed off of that mean choya cactus and cooking it. It's absolutely delicious. I, whenever I can get my hands on it and order it from them and serve it like at a wine dinner in Oklahoma City, yeah. people go, what is this? You know? <laughs> and, and it's just, it's exciting, you know, and all the different beautiful, you know, heirloom beans and tomatoes and potatoes. And there's just such a wealth of gorgeous beautiful healthy food out there so i can't just you know they said we want to pay homage to the uh, 39 tribes of oklahoma and i said but i have to go back to their original homelands too you know i can't just do chicken fried steak and cream gravy which is <laughs> which is our state food here yeah. i'm going oh my goodness <laughs> so you got a little taste of that with the biscuits and gravy on the brunch menu today yeah. so while we're you know a- appealing to everyone's palate i want to bring it you know from the past into the present. When I first opened in Santa Fe, I had a lot of native people that didn't want to eat buffalo because they'd, oh, it's gamey or, you know, and I said, no, 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 no. It's, you know, it's how it's harvested, how the animals are raised and uh, how they're harvested and how they're prepared. So it's really about, you know, taking that leap as a chef and saying, hey, I'm, I'm going to do this. I'm going to throw some pignon nuts in that pancake batter and <laughs> And, and go with it. But that always, always brings me back to those choya buds because they're absolutely amazing and uh, such a treat for me to, you know, be able to get them and serve them to people and then tell that story. The food are, are my tools, my instruments for uh, telling our story. All right. And um, can you tell me a little bit about Oklahoma? I know you... You know, you've had to do a bunch of research on the tribes here and where some of these foods come from. And that leads some of these tribes over to, or maybe most, tribes to the um, uh, East Coast, right? Right. Yeah. Uh, We have... We have really more than 39 tribes reservation here, but this is old Indian territory. So, you know, when the the, uh, U.S. of A. said you know, high the away, you know, to west of the Mississippi. Uh, my tribe, I'm Potawatomi, we're from the, you know, Great Lakes region, northern woodlands. So we literally have people here from all over North America. But when I was growing up, it was already kind of to the point where, you know, like fry bread, and you know, I was, that always comes up. And I do serve fry bread here. I finally got off of my 
anti-fry bread <laughs> pedestal that I've been on yeah. for so many years. Yeah. And, you know, I've had to recognize that, by golly, it's a part of our history. It is, uh, it was an, a, a survival food, uh, still is. You know, it's what the women figured out. How to, what are you going to do with the commods that the, that the government gives us? Researching the foods of all of these tribes and hence where they came from has really been enlightening and exciting. And there's a couple generations, maybe three now, that don't know anything about the, the foods of their homelands. So the more I can get into that, you know, the more I think people will, uh, the tribal people themselves will become more interested. Yeah. Um, why why were you on this uh, anti-fry bread uh, <laughs> crusade for a long time? Well, you know, we, we all know we all know fry bread and we love it and uh, but I you know it's not exactly the healthiest thing to be eating and I guess maybe it, it really made an impression on me when I went down to Tanatham. Uh, so I spent three months down there putting in a little restaurant uh, with them. Well, the you know type two diabetes has just run rampant through all of our all of our tribes. You know we just don't tolerate uh, the wheat and all of that. And it's uh, the same with dairy. I try to you know stay away from that. Uh, we're just all genetically a, a little bit different and. When I saw the rates of diabetes down in, you know, down with with those tribes, I just kind of said, you know, I didn't grow up eating fry bread. I think the first piece of fry bread I had, the first Indian taco I had, was at the Oklahoma State Fair when I was about 12 years old. Mm. So my Potawatomi grandma didn't cook fry bread. And I think that, you know, my research has told me that it got around through the powwow you know, through the, the powwow highway, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. to speak, just kind of spread around and spread around, and and it's food. You know, it's uh, it's has kept a lot of a lot of our people alive for a long time. Now let's get back to you know figuring out how to live more healthily. Is that a word? And just eat that fry bread maybe once a week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I'm I'm on that um anti-fry bread, you know, anti-fry bread group. Uh well, because because it's become like this identity and it's not our identity. I mean, I it, it's become like this blanket term and this blanket um ingredient when people think about native food, they think about fry bread, they think about Indian tacos and yeah. you know, the more I've done doing this research and talking to um chefs and people all across the the country, it's really just so much more than that and it, it's um it, I think it's something that we need to change and it is already something that is changing in the media but still I run across people all the time who are like oh you mean fry bread fry bread absolutely Mm -hmm. you know it's it's as if we do not have a cuisine of our own yeah you know that's what really kind of ticks me off and so over in the little arbor cafe I do my take on unfried bread Mm -hmm. so we're doing a little flat bread over there with things like 
you know, barbecued buffalo brisket or some really nice toppings. And it's, it looks like fry bread. It's the same dough, actually. Mm -hmm. But I air bake it in a, you know, forced air conveyor belt oven. So it's not as fattening. I do different, I do quinoa flours. I do uh, uh, different, uh, other than wheat flour, uh, doughs. And once we get that thing off the ground, we'll be able to have a, you know, an alternative offering uh, for that fry bread. And uh, we'll have, I think we'll need to do a taste off. And I'm gonna say, can you tell the difference between a little big pie or a native flatbread and real fry bread? Yeah, It's already come up in the restaurant. You know, yeah. they're saying, you know how it is in any country. It's like, well, anti, you know, anti-cats, fry bread's better than your fry bread. And that's, everyone has a different take on what three or four ingredients is like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How yeah. much can you do? Uh, but it's 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 fun, and we're you know I and I I'm like you. We've had some really heated discussions over the years about that, and uh, I think Powell Highway probably you know launched us with fry bread power, launched it into uh, you know it'll it'll will always be identified with that, but we can. Uh, uh, do a better job of saying, you know, we do have a cuisine and we do have, you know, some extraordinary foods uh, to work with out there. And that's, you know, that's what we want to do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, kind of changing, changing the identity of Native American food and putting like this fresher, more vibrant, colorful um, identity to it, which is the truth, yes. <laughs> which is yes. um, a, you know more more traditional than this fry bread, but you know that that's also really hard too. I mean, I think about back at home. You know, some of our favorite dishes back at home are like spam and oh. mutton and oh uh, potatoes yeah. and breakfast burritos that is just spam oh. potatoes and green chili and some of those dishes like that are just so so ubiquitous they are the identity of navajo food exactly. bluebird flower like yes. that that's just like the definition of navajo food and kind of hard to like come in come in and and be like you know your nose in the air like that's not navajo Navajo food. That's not, but oh, you know, you kind of get tired of, of, you know, always trying to stay on your high horse or like trying to re-educate people, and and it's just like, but that's my grandma's food. Yes. This reminds me of my grandma. This reminds me of the hard times and the good times. I mean, it's it's it's, it's, it's hard. It's difficult. Very difficult nut to crack, so to speak, mm -hmm. because you know we have been you know, identified with fry bread. And it, as, as we said earlier, you know, it's spread all across Indian country. It doesn't have to be that way. Uh, I think we can do different things. You know, we, we have people out there that can, you know, that are master gardeners and, mm. you know, fabulous farmers. I think people would be amazed how much there is to eat in their own yard. Mm. You know, I go out and I harvest chickweed and redbud blossoms and all kinds of stuff out of my yard. And people with these beautiful, fertilized, chemically treated Bermuda grass lawns that look like golf courses. I said, go out there and put some salad dressing on that and see how that tastes. You know, <laughs> instead of, you know, don't put that Monsanto crap on my dandelions. You know, 
that's edible. You know, the flowers, the dandelions, there's a lot of those weeds out there that are food and that are medicine. I run all over my neighborhood saying, if I can smell that Roundup in the air, if someone's <laughs> spraying their yard, I'll go, wait just a minute, you can't do that. Look at that beautiful dandelion down there. So uh, it's, it's about education. It really is. And, you know, people are so busy now that they don't really take the time to listen. So I'm just going to kind of shove it down their throats. You know, just taste this. I think you'll like it. Yeah. <laughs> That's a dandelion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe one way to talk to, especially Native folks, to talk to Native folks about inviting more into the picture and more into the story. You can, yeah, you can have your fry bread, but let's also make sure that corn, beans, and squash, or a couple of other ingredients and dishes become part of the identity, too. I mean, you think about Korean food and Japanese food oh. and African food. Well, like, we can identify all kinds of different dishes and ingredients and flavors and even textures from, you know, all these different countries. And we have that, too. <laughs> we do. It's not just, like, one thing. Yeah, that is part of the job of everybody in this movement is to make sure that our food story includes a lot of a lot of other ingredients, a lot more color. It's yeah. really crazy that you can you can go to any city in this country and you can find those very foods that you're talking about. Chinese, Japanese, Korean, Mongolian barbecue, you know, name it, but there's no native food out there. Just very few places. And even people like, you know, Ben uh, Jacobs, uh, Osage of Tokabi in Tokabe. Denver. Mm -hmm. You know, that started out as his grandparents, I think, fry bread place. And then he and Matt have added so many other dishes to their menu. They're doing beautiful three sisters salads and stews and wonderful foods. So they're broadening, you know, their perspective of native foods. And they're both so delightful. I, I love them. I've worked with them. And and that's what Crystal's doing in Oakland. And so if this movement, you know, I'll do everything in my power to keep this movement moving forward because it's really important. And I want to see a Native Foods restaurant in every city in this country because I think it's the healthiest route for us to go. I'm not just for our people, but for everyone. You know, we are growing at a monumental pace. When I was a kid growing up, we didn't have a lot of diabetes. Our people did, but when you went to school, we didn't we didn't know a lot of like kids didn't have type 2 diabetes, you know, back in the 40s and 50s. Oops, I'm aging myself. Uh, but it was, you know, now it's just it's commonplace. You know, there's kids on down at that uh, at Occam that have uh, well, on your, you know, your your country too, your reservation too, mm -hmm. you know, little kids with type two diabetes, and you know, that weigh 150 pounds, you're going, oh my God, this kid, you know, that's cutting years off of their lives. I just kind of think that it's another way of trying to get rid of us, you know. It's like um, so more, you know, fresh fruits and fresh vegetables and all of that are an absolute must. Uh, for those people on the reservations and people who do not have the means that live in a food desert, you know, where they can't walk to a grocery store and buy fresh vegetables. That's a crime. You know, it just, it should be a crime against humanity. Uh, food is, um, 
it's for all of us. That's what the Creator intended. And, uh, you know, I, I tell everyone, even if you just get the bug and plant a little tomato plant in a flower pot on your windowsill, you know, that'll help you get the bug to go plant something else next spring and next summer. And uh, there's nothing like the taste of a fresh tomato, you know, just warm from the sun. And uh, uh, we have, you know, we have to help our people uh, make this change. It's, it's, we've got to take over again. (laughs) You're in Indian country (laughs) right now. And (laughs) we can't forget that. We can't let anyone forget that. This is my last question. You talked about um, your past a little bit, being a little kid. But where where did you get where did you get like um, bitten by this bug to cook and just go straight for it? Yeah. Well, you know, I grew up. My mom was, you know, uh, Potawatomi from a very large family, and. Uh, as I said, you know, trying not to refer to my age, but you know, back in the 40s and 50s, um, you know, I grew up in a kitchen with a lot of women uh, singing, and and uh, everyone had a garden in the little town I grew up in. You know, in the city and even out in the countryside, everyone had a garden. They planted a few things or a big garden. Everyone had so much fun doing that as a little kid. You know, digging in the dirt and planting things going out and picking fresh fresh things. I raised my kids that way. Uh, we always had a garden and I could I never had a corn harvest because they'd go out and eat those little baby ears of corn. Then you know I, I got married, I raised my kids and I hit a certain age and I thought, well, kids are gone. what am I going to do now? And so I, I left Oklahoma and came a time where I needed to, support myself and I thought well, what is it you know how to do Loretta well cook and that's when my son and I got together and went to Santa Fe I thought you know where would Native American food be most appropriate or most accepted and Santa Fe just kept ringing that bell in my head and uh, so that's what we did and I mean literally uh, we didn't know what we were doing but that little place took off and then I just became a maniac about it. I want to learn more. I want to, you know, do more. I want to cook more and 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 spread the knowledge around, spoonful by spoonful. <laughs> Thank you for listening. For more information about the First Americans Museum in Oklahoma City, visit famok.org. That's F-A-M-O-K dot org. Photos from my brunch at the 39 restaurant are on the website and all over social media. I would like to say a special thank you to my patrons on Patreon. Your continued support means a lot to me and this food media work that I do. A portion of my trip to Indianapolis was supported by everyone who's ever bought items from the Toasted Sister shop, donated money, or signed up on Patreon, so thank you. I really can't say thank you enough. 
I'll be back as soon as I can with another episode, so follow me and Toasted Sister on social media. We'll see you soon. I'm Andy Murphy. I'm Toasted Sister.